Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Lasting City podcast. My name is Scott Corian. I am the host of this podcast. And today I want to talk to you about the 3.5% rule and specifically what it is and why I think it's important that we understand this rule, particularly for for Christians. Now, what is this? What is the 3.5% rule? I first came across this concept when I was reading a book a couple of years ago about nonviolent resistance movements over the past century. And in it, the author cited the work of a researcher named Erica Chenoweth, who had done some major work on the topic of protests, uh, both violent and nonviolent, over the last century. And she's the one who coined this, this term. So I, I did some research on her. I found a TED Talk that she gave a couple of years ago. I read a few other things by her. And basically, you know, she, what she did was she studied uh, the history of resistance movements beginning from 1900, going all the way to 2006, some that failed, some that succeeded, uh, published all of her work in 2011, and, and basically came up with this idea. What, what she found in the research was that uh, no government could withstand uh, a resistance from 3.5% or more of a population. Or to put it another way, once any kind of movement or protest, I'll give a couple of examples in a minute, uh, uh, that was trying to achieve change in a society, w- once that movement achieved the active engagement of at least 3.5%, of the population, success seemed to be guaranteed. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I I was surprised when I first heard that, when I was reading that, because it seems too low. It like just intuitively, I I would have thought you'd need a lot higher number of people engaged in a movement if it was really going to succeed and bring real change in a society. Now, 3.5% isn't nothing, I mean, and if you're thinking of America with our population being over 300 million, 3.5% of the population is still millions and millions of, of people, of course. However, it's it's not 50% or, or more. And so the bottom line of the 3.5% rule, what's so interesting about it is that it suggests that a very small and yet committed minority can bring substantial change in a country, in a culture. Those who are very dedicated to a cause, even if they're a distinct minority, can bring a lot of change. Now, just thinking of our own country, let me give two quick examples. One would be, of course, the civil rights movement, which um, at the beginning of there wasn't national support. There wasn't 50% of the population or anywhere close to that that was for some of these things, you had a, a a committed minority that ended up bringing a lot of changes. Uh, so there's one example. A second example would be the LGBTQ revolution that's taken place over the last two to three decades. Uh, think you know, I think it was 1996 that both houses of Congress, with a very high support, passed DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, which was then signed into law by. President Bill Clinton at the time. That was only 25 years ago. And I, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it, w- it wasn't until 2012, less than 10 years ago, that any president 
or candidate for, for president, for that matter, expressed public support for the idea of same-sex marriage. That was uh, uh, then President Barack Obama. And, and so you, you think about that and where we are today, and there's been a huge change in our cultural attitudes and our laws. Well, how did that happen? Well, it wasn't because you had a huge amount of popular support back in the 80s and 90s for this movement. You, you didn't. Uh, but what you did have was a very small but committed minority to the cause, and they did a very effective job of 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 um, engaging the culture with this issue and led to some pretty massive changes. Now, that leads to an important caveat to this rule. The th to, to say that a movement needs 3.5% support in order to succeed. That's true, but the supporters need to be active participants, not, not passive. And so part of Chenoweth's research uh, indicated that the 3.5% of people who are, who are supporting a cause, first of all, they, they need to prioritize it, which basically means that this cause, whatever it is, whether it's civil rights, LGBTQ or whatever, uh, it, it is something that these people care deeply and passionately about. This is not just something that's one of many things that they're interested in. This is this is something they're passionate about. It's something they're willing to to sacrifice for. And of course, if you think of the civil rights movement, for example, you, you see that the, the the people involved in that movement were so they had so prioritized the movement. They believed so deeply in it. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to go and sit in when they knew they would be arrested. Uh, when they might be harmed personally or or whatever the case might be. They were willing to sacrifice their time, their money, even their bodies uh, for the cause. It was such a priority. They believed so deeply in it. So the 3.5% need to prioritize the movement that deeply or it won't, it won't work. Uh, and part of that uh, priority means that they are also committed to participating in the movement in their local area. And so the 3.5% aren't people that, you know, kind of give uh, verbal support to a cause. Oh, yes, yes, I'm for that, but then never participate. No, the 3.5%, they, they participate in the cause as they're able in their local area. So that might mean they show up for the marches, they, they come to the meetings, they, they're present for the sit-ins or, or whatever the, the demonstrations might be. So thirdly, then, they also not just prioritize and participate in the cause, they actively seek to persuade others about the cause. That's the other characteristic about the 3.5%. Uh, they actively express their views on social media within their networks. These people are willing to risk tension with neighbors or family by bringing up what might be controversial issues to talk about and try to get their ideas across. And, and related to persuading, the 3.5% is also actively promoting the cause everywhere they can, anywhere they can. They actively advance the issues within their social and professional life. As a business owner, they might host a breakfast to support the cause, things like that. So these are the characteristics. If you, if you have 3.5% of a population that prioritizes a movement, participates in it, seeks to persuade others and promotes it in their personal and professional networks, a small minority can make a big change. That's the 3.5% rule. Now, why do I think that's important? Why am I having a podcast on this? Well, as I, as I have read about this rule and some of the research behind it, it does strike me as very a very helpful way of thinking about the rise of Christianity in the pagan world. 
If you read the book of Acts, and of course, I want to be clear here, the, the ultimate success of the church in the book of Acts is because the risen Christ is on the throne and he is working through his people in this world. Um, but God uses his people. And when you read the book of Acts, I, I think we see all the elements of the 3.5% there. Uh, Christians functioning at their best were the 3.5% in the ancient world, not for some social cause, but for the kingdom of God. Right, the, the book of Acts is a story. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the Christianity starts as, as the ultimate underdog story. It's a very small, committed minority that should not have had any impact, but literally, in a matter of just a few decades, turned the world upside down. That's one of my favorite verses from the book of Acts, Acts 17, when Paul goes to Thessalonica and starts preaching about Jesus. There's a, a controversy that started, and, and some of the people there upset with him go and complain and say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And, and how did such a small minority have such an impact? Well, they, they prioritize the movement of the kingdom of God. And that's one thing we see over and over again in the book of Acts. Again, the early church wasn't perfect, but functioning at their best, they were devoted to the kingdom. They were devoted to the apostles' preaching. They were devoted to Christ, uh, so devoted that suffering didn't stop them. And, you know, that's in, that's another part I forgot to mention about the 3.5%. One of the things that Chenoweth in her research noted was that when people are willing to suffer for their cause, not only does it show that it's a priority, but that that suffering in and of itself seems to function to further the movement. Interesting, isn't it? And of course, we you see that in all through the Book of Acts, when, when Christians are confronted when they when they hit that initial persecution for talking about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, um, it doesn't stop them. Rather, it emboldens them. And 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 in amazing passages, they they thank God that they were counted worthy to suffer for this cause because it was such a priority to them, this Jesus and His kingdom. Uh, so that's how such a small minority had. An impact. They prioritized it. There was no other priority even close. Uh, they also participated in the movement, in the local expressions of the kingdom of God. Uh, they were devoted to meeting together for worship. They were devoted to meeting together uh, throughout the week and house to house, devoted to meeting together to pray. And, and so they participated in the local expressions of the movement. And clearly the book of Acts shows us that they were also very active in persuading and seeking to promote the movement to others. That is a theme of the book of Acts, the expansion of the gospel as God's people bore witness. And it wasn't just the, the, the kind of the big names that were responsible for this. Yes, there was particularly gifted men like Peter and Paul who did extensive preaching and missionary work. Uh, but what, when we read the book of Acts, we see it wasn't just them that was responsible for the movement of the gospel spreading as it did. In fact, Michael Green, who's an Oxford scholar, published a book called Evangelism in the Early Church and studying the Bible, but also a lot of other documents uh, in early Christianity. His conclusion is, and here's a quote, early Christianity's explosive growth was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries, that is, Christian lay people not trained preachers and evangelists who spoke of Christ in homes and wine shops, on walks, and around 
the market stalls. So the early Christian movement, again, functioned at their best. They they persuaded, they promoted, they told other people about Jesus, and all of that was part of how the gospel had such an impact, such an unexplainable impact in a pagan world. Now, just to bring this to a conclusion, why am I bringing this up? Why I, Because I think it's important for Christians today in 21st century America to understand this paradigm. I believe that if we want to see a movement of the gospel in our day, like we read of in the book of Acts, then we ought to embrace the characteristics of the 3.5% rule. We, we need to make sure that we are prioritizing the movement. Uh, and of course, I mean by that, the kingdom of God, prioritizing the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. That must be the highest priority in our life. People must see that that is the cause that excites us the most. Our, our, our burning desire must be, Lord, your kingdom come. Uh, it's got to be the, a higher priority than anything else, even other legitimate priorities. But it's got to be higher than our politics or or, or any other cause. It, the gospel must be a cause we're willing to sacrifice for, our time, our money, but even like the early church, uh, our bodies to, to be persecuted because we believe that the tomb is empty. But not only must we prioritize it, we've got to participate in the local expressions of the movement in our area, right? That's what we said about the 3.5%. They weren't just people that gave verbal support. They showed up to the meetings, to the plannings, to the marches. And for us today, we must do the same. We must participate in the local meetings of the movement in our area, which of course is, I mean, the local church. Uh, that is the local church is where the movement of the kingdom of God, the, of the gospel finds expression in different cities throughout the, our country and in different countries throughout the world. We have to be present at those gatherings. Uh, that's got to be a priority for us as well. It is, we got to be present to worship, to celebrate our King, to be reminded week in and week out of what his kingdom is all about and to be energized and to go back out and live for that kingdom uh, in the world and to, uh, uh, meet together with other believers in house to house, meet together to pray, all of those things. We've got to participate. And of course, we need to, as we are able, persuade and promote the gospel in our social circles. Uh, as I mentioned just a minute ago, uh, it wasn't just the preaching of the apostles, but it was the lay people sharing Christ at dinner tables that had just as much to do with the uh, expansion of God's kingdom in such an explosive way in the pagan world. And if we want to see the same thing today, we have to be willing to identify ourselves as believers and actively, humbly, and yet boldly seek to persuade and promote the gospel, to tell others about Jesus as God gives us opportunity to do that. Of course, that's part of the vision for the church we're planting in Scottsdale. We want to be intentional with seeking to persuade uh, and promote the gospel, to get the gospel outside the four walls of the church. And so as we do that, as we seek to prioritize the kingdom, our, our, our participate in the kingdom, persuade and promote, uh, we can be encouraged that God will use us. The story of the early church is one of God using a small but committed minority to have a huge impact and the same can be true in our day. The risen Christ is on the throne. He is the one who's building his church, but he uses his people. Uh, he's using uh, you and I in this present age to do that. 
we can be part, we can see and experience a movement of the gospel today, one that still turns the world upside down like it did 2,000 years ago and has a real impact in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And I know that if you're listening to this and you are a Christian, that is what you want. That is certainly what I want uh, to see uh, both in my life personally, but also in the churches that I'm involved in. So Christian believer, be encouraged. God will use us in our churches to advance his kingdom because Christ is risen. Our labor for the Lord, however weak it may seem to us, and sometimes it is weak, uh, but it's never in vain. So may the love of Christ compel us to be the 3.5% in our day, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. May the gospel message of God's gracious, undeserved, merciful love for us so work itself out in our heart and produce a greater love for Christ, a greater love for his church, and a greater zeal to see a movement of the gospel today until that day that the prophets predicted where the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Lasting City podcast. If you're interested in more information about the Scottsdale Church Plant, you can contact me or go to the website scottsdalechurchplant.com. I'll talk to you again next time. Goodbye.